Hello and welcome to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups. In this episode, we have a conversation around who is small group for. If you've ever wondered, is small group right for me? Or if what you're facing in your own personal life can be healed and transformed through small group, then this episode is for you. So without further ado, here's episode four, who is small group for? All right, well, Scott and Sarah, we are sitting down again as we move into our fourth episode. And in this conversation, we're talking about who is small groups for, which is something that we alluded to in our last episode. And, you know, a lot of times the blanket statement is it's for everybody. And that's comforting, but it's also, um, I think this would be a, a good space for us to talk about some of the experiences that you guys have seen um, within the small groups. Um, what are some of the, the issues? What are some of the things that they come into group for um, that may need some healing? And so, Sarah, I'll start with you. Um, I know you've been uh, facilitating groups for 10 years and you've seen so many people. The ballpark figure, how many people do you think you've actually seen oh, um, in some of these small groups? Uh, God, it's got to be upwards of 500 plus wow. people. Wow, yeah. That, so all you know, walks of life. Yes. Because um, I think, you know, every group is small. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, dealing with anyone from eight to 10 people, but I'm but I've done a lot of groups. So it's hard to say. Right. Anywhere between 500 and 1,000. Yeah, but <laughs> so, a yeah, lot. A lot of people. More than 10. <laughs> yeah, more so than 10. So you've seen your fair share of people coming in with um, some some background, some history, some issues. So talk about, for anybody that's out there listening that's just kind of, and the question would always be, and we talk about this as a resistance to joining the small group, is, is this really for me? Because obviously with AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, it's specific to people who struggle with addiction. Right. Um, and this, so if, if I'm asking that question internally, is this group for me, what are some of the people that have come through some of the experiences and some of the stuff that they have mm. within them that they're trying to heal? Yes. Well, I would say that a lot of people sign up because they have a general sense of unease about their life. But then mm. we, when we broaden that out, um, and it could be unease, anxiety, depression, they feel stuck. But then that kind of branches out into all kinds of things. If I were to start anywhere, I would say, let's start with relationships, mm-hmm. right? Most, a lot of people are coming in with broken relationships in their lives mm-hmm. in some way, whether it's their family of origin, meaning the family they grew up in, right. or it's their partner or their spouse, um, or just say romantic relationships in general, they can't make work right. for some reason. They just keep finding themselves back in the same situation. Um, whether it's, uh, with their children, um, relatives, the extended family. I mean, there's just, there, it goes on and on. I mean, if you think about it, relationships with other people, that's it, that's yes. life, yes. you know? And so where people encounter these difficulties often, I think, again, and we've said this before, that people think I must be the only one, mm. like, my family's so dysfunctional. Mm. Like, you know what, I'm a, but I don't know if anyone else's family right. is operates this way. Or maybe they know a few other people, but they're just not sure. And I would honestly say where most people start to really struggle is in trying to navigate through that, how do they manage relationships in a healthy way where they're not mixing up necessarily uh, forgiveness and reconciliation. Mm. How do they have proper boundaries? Mm. If they have boundaries, is it unkind? 
um, a lot of, and we talk about this a lot, but, uh, you know, a lot of codependency in certain forms. Mm. And of course, codependency is in its most basic form over-functioning for somebody in a relationship. Mm. So you're over-functioning. That's a good word. Yes. You are not interdependent, which is healthy, dependent on one another, but separate, mm. but you're codependent, meaning you're, you're relying and it has two sides, right? You're either giving yourself wholly to someone and totally losing yourself mm. in the relationship, or sometimes you're the other person who is the dom- sort of more the domineering one that right. is causing the codependency, or you're the, the unhealthy one with the unhealthy behavior, but you don't recognize it. Right. Um, and so we've, you know, that comes in many, many different forms, but I think I've probably seen people struggle through that more than anything in group. Mm is how am I, am I mean if I set a boundary? Mm. Am, uh, can't, should I have an honest conversation with this person? Um, you know, is it, is it wrong if my relationship isn't going to work? If it's, is it wrong that my marriage might not make it? Mm. Um, do I really have to talk to my mom or dad ever again? <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of these questions of like, right. you know, what if my sibling and I just don't, like each other and we don't get along Mm. and we cannot see eye to eye. We've tried. Mm. What if my children hate me? Mm. You know, I mean, there's just, I've, I think we've just seen, seen it all. And I sympathize because I think one of the things that I can bring to group for people is I too have struggled through the very subtle and difficult nuances Mm. of the relationships of my life. Mm. And sometimes, you know, it has taken me, like with my family of origin, it has taken me 20 years to even figure out how to function mm. in a way that's healthy for me. Mm. So I don't think the answer, my point being is that the answer is never black or white. Right. But often I think we, we're sent the message that if you're in a relationship with someone, well, just go have an honest conversation with them mm. and then you'll reconcile and it'll all be fine. Right. And, you know, that's what God would want you to do. And you're yeah. like, yeah, but it's, so complicated. Yes. <laughs> it depends yes. on who you're dealing with yep. and the level of the relationship. You know, you have to take into account are people, is there abuse present? Is there, um, you know, is the relationship even salvageable? Should right. it be, mm. you know? So all of those things come into play. But I think I've seen people getting into group more often than not, there's some underlying relationship mm. issue in, yeah. their, in their life. And maybe even like a repetitive pattern where, yes. you know, you're, you, you can't seem to make things work. And then that, of course, creates an enormous amounts of shame. And so you're thinking, okay, I, something's got to change here. Either I'm the problem, I keep dating this kind of person, or you know, I can't seem to get my career right. So it may be relationships to people, but oftentimes you know, it's a relationship to a career. It's a relationship to um, some goal that you had that you just can't seem to fix, whatever else it is. And so, um, Scott, I know you talk about a lot about change, and I know that in our um, episode with you, you were talking about it's the preparatory work, but oftentimes it's also the ability to admit and accept um, that you are in this space where you don't know. And there's just massive power. We were talking about before we recorded this in, in acceptance and saying, wow, like I need help. You know, I, I'm, I'm at the place where I think the quote is in AA, my best thinking got me here, right? So is that part of a lot of the times when people show up to group, um, that's part of where they are is just like I've tried my best and I just can't seem to make it work. You know, it's interesting. Um, Richard Rohr quotes Einstein all the time, but 
you know, what I see is, is that, first of all, um, everybody is dealing with their human condition. Mm. And that's from the very beginning. Um, where can I go to examine my human condition and, and help transform that? Well, that's everybody. I know. So, right. But he said that, um, you know, I can't solve the problem from the same consciousness that caused the problem. Mm. And so, uh, which is a simple way also of saying, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Right. So where can I go and experience a growth and transformation of my consciousness, mm-hmm. how I see things, see life? That's in small groups. So I, I think a lot of times when people think of groups, group work, they do automatically think of, oh, it's for those people, mm-hmm. you know, who are in dire situations. And the reality is, uh, the definition Father Keating says of the human condition is, where are you? Mm. And, he's, and he says, it's, it's where are you in relation to, do you believe that the desire you have for love is being fulfilled? Mm. You know, what have you, where are you in that? And we're all in different places in that. And so there's just such a plethora of paths that we can choose. And we have a society that likes to group people, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, go to, you need to go to AA, or you need to go to SA, you need you know. And reality is we all need to go somewhere mm. where we can be known mm. uh, and experience. I think that in the 20-some years I've been doing this, most of the people are coming, so I was talking about earlier, they're hoping that something can change in their lives. Uh, something's not working. And we do know that usually it's when relationships are struggling, mm. it gets people's full attention because God created us relationally. Right. But the reality is we, we, we need space to really examine where are you mm. and how did you get here? But more importantly, how do I get into a, a new path? Mm. Uh, the path mm-hmm. is, that's what I'm putting in my new book. Mm. You know, I, I, I realize that um, so, we, so much of our life is all this stuff happening and pouring into us and we're acquiring it, we're learning it. We're building a paradigm. We're building a narrative, um, and that stuff gets entrenched. Mm. Those neural pathways, as they say. And so this is how I see myself. This is how I see life. And what we know is how I respond to life is going to be dictated from that. So the only way I'm ever going to really change anything is that deep work. And so the the kenosis. Where can I go and empty that out? Mm. Well. May says there can be no transformation without awareness. I have to first become aware mm. of, gosh, look at all this stuff mm. that I've been carrying for so long. Mm. Um, and the reality is for most of that stuff we're carrying, it's not accurate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. You know, but it's what we've come to believe. It's what we know. Yeah. In your mind alone. Uh, yeah. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Like yeah. Well, it's like that's the, I think that's what, as you tell, as you're speaking this out, I've been through my own journey as you guys have already shared your own journey. And it just reminds me of reading books and going through online workshops and all those things that were going to fix me and and help me. And I would always be fearful to end a book. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you're so excited about the book that you're just, you don't want it to end. And I think what it reminded me of when I was thinking back at it was I was going to be alone again and I was going to be forced to deal. And I think that, you know, so oftentimes when, when we're asking, is this for me? 
and, and to me, one of the the questions to quickly ask yourself is, are you alone in this? And if you're alone in this, then it's most likely for you because your your books and all that kind of stuff is wonderful, but you're still processing it alone. And all of those neural pathways, you know, we wake up every day. We were talking about again before we recorded where we're all looking at our past and we're bringing our past into the future. And, you know, I, how did I get here? And you're just having these internal conversations with your, with yourself at all times. And most likely you're not the most gentle. And like you said, the best part is you're not right most of the time, but if you're only in your head and you're only getting your input from yourself, then um, that is, that can be a, a state of desperation. Well, yeah, that becomes our consciousness. Right. That's how I see myself. That's mm. how I see the world. And I'm telling you, that cannot change alone. Mm. So, you know, like Brene Brown says again, sprint, find those groups, mm. that space. It's amazing to me. I think one of the things I've learned about myself, but also about watching other people in this process, that's really fascinating about human psychology is just the fact that we always, whether we're doing it consciously or not, are gravitating towards what's familiar. Mm. That's why people find themselves. It's why I found myself even stuck in the same patterns over and over and over. Mm. Because whether we know it or not, we find ourselves looking to people that feel familiar. Mm. They feel they feel safe, ironically, even when they're not. Right. Because I'm like, I recognize this. Mm. I know this emotional dance. Yep. I know how to do this one because I used to do this at home. Yep. You know. So so for me, for example, the more difficult the relationship the more I thought it was working, mm. <laughs> which is the total irony of <laughs> right. it, right? So I found yeah, myself I always it. in these codependent, mm. difficult relationships because in my mind, nothing was going to work unless you suffered for it mm. and you gave your all to it and you know you, you disappeared into mm. that relationship because that was my experience at home. Mm. So even though I look at it now from my perspective in my 40s and I go, well, that's ridiculous. Right. Like it was never supposed to be that hard to me. That was like, no, this is it. Like, mm. that's how I know this is working, yes. you know? And so, but I find that so interesting about all of our human consciousness is that we just tend to gravitate into these kind of circles of um, maybe our job, you know, we end up in a toxic workplace because, yep. hey, I know how to function in a toxic workplace. Yes. I, I trained for this all my life, you know? Mm. Um, and I, and you, maybe we don't expect anything more. Mm. We're like, yeah, this is just the way life is, but we don't realize there is another way. And so to Scott's point, it's like, you have to come into an environment where you can maybe ask yourself the question, is there another way? Like, maybe I just assumed mm. because this is all I know, mm. but maybe if I sit and think about it or I learn from other people, there is another way out. Um, and suddenly start to, and it's that awareness of starting to recognize the patterns so that sometimes we just don't, and it's not our fault. We just yes. don't even know we're in them. That's, um, I think that's a great point is that it's not a point of shame. You don't even know that you're doing it. It's a complete lack of awareness. Yes. You know that now, but in the, in the moments that you're gravitating towards toxic, whatever's going on in your life, or you keep having money issues, you know, that only drives shame deeper. And the only, it's like you get lost in your own mind. And I'm telling you, you know, I, I look back over my life. I'm like, gosh, you know, had I had this process when I was 15, mm. if I'd had this process when I was 21, if I'd had this process when I was 31. But, I mean, you can, it really never ends, mm. this inner work, this journey. Um, 
I'll just share this. Um, just last week, I think I had one of the greatest breakthroughs in my personal journey um, as, I, as I continue to do the small, the small group process and I do the work, I'm looking inside. And what I saw was that um, I, I had attachments. What I realized, you know, I started this journey 20-some years ago because I, was, I had a serious addiction mm. that was really being destructive. Mm. Well, I got into sobriety for that. Mm. Um, but yet a lot of the stuff I struggled with didn't go away. Mm. I found myself 10, 20, 30 years later, I'm, I'm really at the same place in certain ways. And what I realized was that I had attachments. Mm. That if I have this, when I get this, you know. Um, and then what I realized, what am I looking for in those attachments? And what I saw in the inner work was I'm just longing for the affirmation mm. that somebody would tell me. Or I, if I have this, I'll get that affirmation. And then what I realized last week was that um, it's love. Mm. And um, I haven't really done that good a job at love in, in my life. And I realized that that is an inner journey. Mm. And that the person who I have not loved, the, who needed it the most, was myself. Mm -hmm. and, I don't, and I have felt this freedom since then. And I realized that had I not, we were talking about this in one of the groups here today, if we were not continuing to do this small group work, yeah. would you have become aware of that? Mm -hmm. I would not have. Mm -hmm. And so it's, as they say, it's never too late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's a really good point because, um, you know, also we were talking about this in the previous episode where as you start to open up, which, you know, if you're like anybody living in modern times, you'll, you'll be calculatingly vulnerable. You'll share some yeah. bits and pieces, but definitely not the darker stuff that you yourself um, aren't willing to admit. And, and even starting with feelings, you know, the fact that the group starts with feelings right there is that immediate awareness of, well, what, how do I feel? How, how rare uh, do we as human beings even get the opportunity? Most of us as, as children, we're not allowed to express how we felt and to open up that space, whether you're a male or female, I'm not trying to make it a, a masculine thing because all people have struggles. And sometimes it's not what you're going through, but just admitting how you feel about what you're going through. So um, have you guys seen that in group where even just the process of moving through the feelings also creates almost this immediate awareness and healing of what's going on? Yes. I think, again, if we were to generalize, what what do we see in group um, or why do people need to be in group? It is, yes, very often because they've never had the opportunity to be open mm -hmm. about their emotional life. I think, unfortunately... Uh, we are taught certain emotions are wrong, and I think a lot of that, unfortunately, stems out of some, well, maybe some misguided Christian yeah, teaching right. that you're not supposed to be angry, that mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be fearful. Mm -hmm. um, be you a good know, boy, that, be a good girl. Yeah, perfect yeah. love drives out fear. I mean, how many times have we heard mm -hmm. this? And yet, that's not what it means. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're never going to spend <laughs> any moment of your life fearful, and that sure. if you do, you should feel ashamed of that. Yeah. Um, or that you're never going to feel angry because ang anger is a good, actually a, a good emotion to be, to have if mm. you use it constructively. So I think that's number one, people coming in already afraid to feel the feeling because they are ashamed that somehow that's a defect in them. Mm. 
So that's, you know, the first thing we need to move past. But if you've spent your whole life not expressing your anger, guess what? You're codependent. Mm, <laughs> like yes, you, yeah. You're going to fall in that category <laughs> because that means your whole life you've not been entirely honest mm. about who you are. Mm. and about Honest with yourself first, right? Yes, yeah. first with yourself, mm. then with others. Um, and then, you know, acknowledging that fear is a real emotion that we all have probably daily. Mm. Um, and if you've never expressed your fear, guess what? You'll probably feel a lot of anxiety. Mm. And that's so, you know, these are all things that I think universally it's, it's like grief and loss. I would say next to, um, feelings, grief and loss are the two things that back up on us. Mm. Like, and people are, come in and they've just bottled it their mm. whole lives. And then yeah. all of a sudden there's this moment where they're like, it's okay. And mm. it starts, it's it's like watching the you know the floodgates open in yeah. a good way. Yeah, it's like the everything starts to flow again. Yeah, you know, and I think what that comes down to is is that dishonesty that we have with ourselves. Um, but it's not. But that's not a blaming right statement. Yeah, it's just you're that, taught that way. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're we're taught to tamp it down, mm. <laughs> control your emotions. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I heard that mm. in my life. Uh, control your emotions. But what is what does that even really mean? Right. You know, um, and essentially the message I think we received was don't feel mm. like, you know, feelings are wrong. Mm. So I think that it is that's step one for people. And I don't I have not met. I would say probably universally across the board. Don't think there's anyone who's coming to group who's like, oh, yeah, I do this all the time. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, yes. I check in with my feelings yeah. every day. I'm, like, it's, I'm it's, on this. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've already been doing this for a long time. It's yeah. like it's the, it's the first step to even be having the, the safe space, the guided space to be able to admit this is what's going on in my yes. life. And it's the the start of a discipline, a lifelong discipline, I think, mm. of I do that now every day. Mm. I check in with my feelings, but I've been doing it so long in group right. that it's become secondhand. Mm. But it'd be, I'm still amazed how many times I'm like, what is that? Like, I'll be feeling something and I'm like, Ugh, what? Like, sometimes that's all I have the words for is like, Ugh. Yeah. and then I'm like, what is it? Yeah, and right. Most of the time it's more than one emotion, sure. but, um, but I'm so grateful mm. for the ability now to, to stop mm. and go, okay, that there's loneliness, there's sadness, mm. <laughs> there's fear, you know, I can... I could process that out, but um, I, I would say that that is probably a skill that the majority of the human mm. race is not like where they're not doing that yes. on a daily basis. Yeah. And Scott, I, I want to um, ask you, I know you've talked about this and um, sometimes I've heard you speak about this where um, the question of who is the group for, um, it goes back to that human condition where you have, you have sat with people who have murdered people and you have sat with people who are millionaire CEOs and you say famously that there's no difference in that human condition. So obviously there's, we draw that polarity with someone that's in a, a prison in Belize and someone that's sitting at a high rise in downtown, wherever they are. Um, but yet you're saying that in, intrinsically tied is that human condition within each of them. So can you talk a little about that so that people don't, so people realize that you may be coming in for this thing and Charlie may be coming in for that, but we're all kind of coming in for this human condition that we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, what I actually said was that, that I, I would lead a group. I'd be over in the prison working with prisoners. And they've all killed somebody. Mm -hmm. And then next week I'd be 
leading a church staff yeah. through, you know, and there, there really is no difference in the human condition. Mm. And what that means is that the longing to be loved, to know that they matter, that their life has meaning, that it has purpose, that, you know, tell me I'm okay. Mm. Tell me you'd be my friend. Tell me you'll stay, you know, it's, you know, consequences are different and environments are different and choices are all different, but that is universal. Mm. Um, doesn't matter what country, doesn't matter what setting I go into. It really doesn't matter what kind of group, whether they're coming in for grief or loss or they're just coming in to work on through Journey of Freedom. They're bringing their human condition. And um, in the feelings, why that's become such a central part of our work is... Because that's what they're actually saying is this right. is what I'm feeling mm. in this journey mm. of my human condition of wanting that desire to be loved. Mm. That's why in Addiction of Grace, which was the first book I ever read in this journey by May, it was perfect because he opens the book up with desire. Mm. He says it's there for every human being, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, mm. it is there. And he says it's a longing to be loved mm. at the end of the day. Mm. Uh, and to and that God is at the center of that, and we want to move closer to that and be a part of that. Um, he says we can stuff it, we can bury it, we can hide it, we can distract ourselves from it, but it is there. Mm. And I think that's so. That's what people bring in that human condition. Mm. Um, and I've actually seen people who have so much success, so much money, and they're miserable. Mm. Because they still don't believe mm. they're good enough or they have enough, you mm. know, and and they're just trying to be perfect to control that. And I've seen people who don't have anything actually be more peace with it, but they still won't have the, the same mm. the same longing. Um, I know it may seem, you know, that I, I say this all the time, and it might diminish it somewhat, but I hope it doesn't. I'm ha I don't know of any greater need in our modern world than a place that a person can heal mm. spiritually and emotionally. Mm. Um, we're all about physicalness in our society and we're all about, you know, acquiring things. And, you know, when we have all this, then. Yes, you know, the if they, then. And then mm. they get there and it's, it's, we're back to the woman at the well. Mm. I'm still thirsty. Mm. I'm still thirsty. I had a friend who's a pastor, um, he played football at Penn State. I think he ended up playing for the Washington Redskins, and he won the Super Bowl. Mm. And he said he was sitting in the locker room. They'd won the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl trophy was there. So he'd reached the, he'd reached the pinnacle mm. of athletics. And in our society, the Super Bowl is, you know, Oh, it's everything. Long. Yeah. And he goes, this emptiness just came over him. Mm. Now what? Mm. And he was speaking at thirst. I'm like, you could, that's a good articulation for just about anybody. Mm. They finally get what they think they've pined for their whole life. Mm. They get it, and it's not enough. Mm. The thirst is still there. To me, that's the definition of the human condition, and that's why this group process is so important. Because I'm telling you, when life gets difficult, and, we, and we're pining away for these things, and even when we get them, and it gets tough, no matter how spiritual I see people say they are, they still really believe I gotta have that. Mm. I gotta have that, mm. and uh, it's to empty that stuff out. Is that descent of the kenosis, the emptying out, to make room for the divine, mm. is to me 
um, what happens in his groups. Mm. Um, and that can only happen by sharing my truth. Mm. Um, so. That's powerful. I, and to close out, I kind of want to flip the question on its side because it sounds like as you're saying this is you, you may come in with the question of who is this group for, but as you go through the group, the, the question becomes meaningless because you start to see that we're all connected. So can you talk a little bit about how that healing experience happens where um, you may initially say, well, am I right for this group, which is another judgment of your mind to say, I don't know or not, or they're different than me. Can you talk about some of the oneness that's experienced with that human condition versus it saying, oh, well, that guy's got a codependency issue and she's got this issue. It's like, no, we're all here shared in this, Mm -hmm. the power of that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I I was thinking as Scott was sharing that, again, if you sort of boiled it down to its essence, it's there's not a person coming in a group who hasn't experienced toxic shame. Mm. And when we define that, it's, you know, the being exposed to um, being made to feel lesser than, mm. you know, being humiliated, being exposed to things when you're not ready, especially as a child, um, you know, ab- abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's people have experienced a lot of that and some people have experienced some of it, but mm. there is not a person who gets through life without it. Mm. Like you are going to encounter it at some yeah. point. And I think when people come into group, they've coped with that toxic shame. And this was, this is Brad, John Bradshaw's, um, you know, theory. The, so I'm stealing it, but, um, from healing the shame that binds you, but essentially people have two reactions to that shame and that's either, it's exactly what we're talking about. If you've got someone who's in a prison in Belize or you've got a CEO who's who's reached the pinnacle of their career, right. one person has decided to counteract the toxic shame with becoming, as as Bradshaw says, uh, greater than God. Mm. Like, like I'm, I'm taking control now. Mm. Like, this is my life, my career, my destiny. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it happen, mm. which is, you know, that we take the ego construct and then just, like, blow it up. Right. Um, and it's a way of coping. It's a way of saying, but then you find underneath a lot of those people as we encounter in group is this deep fear that they're not enough. Mm-hmm. This, even though there's all this other stuff and you go, wow, you've got it all mm-hmm. <laughs> the house, the career, right. the, the status, uh, you know, you've lived your best life and then somewhere deep down, they still feel mm-hmm. like something's missing. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, again, it's because it's all been in a, a attempt to push out the toxic shame with success Mm. and then you see the other and Bradshaw talks about people going down the you know the other way which is I'm going to be actually less than human Mm. if I check out of the human so greater than God less than human human. Mm. and if I check out if I'm uh, then you can't have any expectation of me like I'm I've already gone down Mm. (laughs) like forget about me I'm a lost cause Mm. it's a it's a bit of a giving up in a sense on trying to be their best selves. And then that that's their way of coping with the toxic shame they've experienced. Um, and so to Scott's point, when you have, when you're sitting with people in group and you've got that whole spectrum of, of people who have made all kinds of decisions in life, whether you would consider that decision negative or positive, they all have the same underlying thing, which is I, am I good? Am I enough? Like, yeah, am I lovable? Mm-hmm. Um, this toxic, this seed of doubt that was put in me, this toxic shame about whether I am enough mm-hmm. is there, whether I have a million dollars or I'm sitting in prison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so, 
And that's when healing, I think that's the part in group. If we were to say anything gets healed, it's that that together we go, yes, mm. we are enough. Mm. It is enough. Um, you don't have to try so hard. <laughs> and maybe down here, realize that you have value. Like if you, if you are the person who is sitting in prison, then I'm going to tell you, you have value. Mm. Like you are not a lost cause. Mm. It's not all over. Um, it's, it's not over till you're not, you know, till life is over. Mm. Like you've got opportunity every day. Mm. And then, you know, over here to say, listen, you don't have to try so hard. Like (laughs) you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be this pinnacle of, I did it. Mm. Come back down here to humanness. You know, it's okay to be human. That's beautiful. Um, so, and that's what we're doing is we're sort of sure we're coming back Mm. into the middle ground, which Raj always talks about is like, where we want to land is squarely being human mm. realizing we're neither a lost cause nor can we control everything and make it our own and make it our destiny. We just got to sit in the acceptance of humanness mm. and that's where the healing, that's where we're all trying to get to. That's where the healing happens. I think in group. Mm. So that's beautiful. Well, I can't, that's can't think of a better way to close out than that, Sarah, that was very well said. Well, we hope that, you know, no matter if you're wondering if, if this group is for you or not, we hope that you you get a sense of, of the, the transformation that happens as you even start to lose some of those barriers to other people and you realize that we all are on this earth together in our own humanness and uh, that we're all yearning um, to be known and to be loved. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down and we will talk to you soon. Take care. Restore Small Groups is a nonprofit based in Nashville, Tennessee. To find out more, visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org.